edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I'm just kind of waiting, like everybody else, to see when is Washington, anything about Washington's schedule going to be announced. The, the full announcement comes on Thursday night, but as of this morning, Wednesday morning, we haven't heard anything about Washington. All kinds of drips and drabs coming out about the schedule. Nothing with these guys. So I assume they're still in the league. I assume they will be part of the 2022 schedule. But for now, we have not heard anything about that. That that will come out on Thursday. We'll react to that. I'm sure we'll overreact to that. But we'll do that on Thursday. I would just like something. It would be, would be fun to give us one game. You know, tell us in week four, their uh, Sunday night against the Eagles or something. I don't know, but we, we're not there yet. We'll get there. Um, anyway, excited to be back with you as always here on the podcast, which of course you can find on Spotify or iTunes or anywhere you do your podcast, including the athletic app. And this episode, first time guest, Danny Heifetz from the ringer joins me. He is part of their NFL coverage he he's one of the co-hosts on their fantasy football show he did a lot for the nfl draft and danny has a story out uh this week on the ringer where he looks at the quarterback to team relationship status and kind of what it says about where where these teams are it was a really uh fun way to look at the quarterback so i brought danny on to discuss that a little bit and tied in wherever i could to what's going on here with Washington and Carson Wentz. So I bounce around a little bit around the league, but we talk about, you know, what does it say about the Steelers that they went for a guy in Kenny Pickett? What does it say about Dallas? That Dallas seems to be kind of cutting back on expenses, even though they're still trying to help Dak Prescott get over the top. We talked about Malik Willis. Uh, we talked about Tom Brady and obviously his, his news uh, from yesterday that he'll be the lead analyst on Fox and, in each instance, I related it back to Washington, you know, whether the uh, wh- whether the compensation they gave up for Wentz made sense, but also that once they did it, has Washington done enough to help Carson Wentz? I think in some cases they have, and others maybe not. Anyway, a fun conversation. I think you guys will really like it. We'll get to that in just a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, of course, also make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. If you missed it, I had a story out this week on Stephen Davis Jr. being at rookie camp, and I spoke to him about his his attempt to get in the NFL following his famous father's footsteps, but I also spoke to Stephen Davis, of course, the fourth-leading rusher in Washington history. I talked about his, his time here, um, what it's like to see his son try to chase his dream and do it in the place that, that he became um, an established NFL player. So hopefully you can check that out on the athletic along with everything else that we have up on there. And uh, in terms of the podcast, I think we've had a lot of fun conversations in recent days uh, as well. So make sure you check out those podcast episodes as well. Um, it's obviously been a bit quiet here over the last, I don't know this since we've spoken last, there was rookie mini camp, of course, last week, nothing overly dramatic came out of that. I, I broke that down with Michael Phillips, though, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and we went through a few different scenarios there. But one one thing I wanted to sort of elaborate on a little bit more is 
you know, what is it going to, who, who are the important people that we need to be paying attention to when it comes to where this team is going to go? What's the ceiling? What's the potential, right? Obviously Carson Wentz. We get that. <laughs> He's a quarterback. You know, we, we know that we know the whole backstory. Two teams in two years have said, get out. We're good. It's, 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 you know, it's been real, but we're, we're ready to move on. And Washington is taking the risk that they can sort it out and have a guy who is a very talented player, but it just has not worked out as well as hope the last couple of years. We get that it's a case young, right? The defense, the defense went from a top five unit to a bottom five unit last year. Um, and part of that was because Chase Young and Montez Sweat just really didn't even come close, particularly Chase Young, come close to playing to their previous year's level. And then they both had injuries as well. Chase Young obviously recovering from an ACL uh, tear. For Chase Young to... If Chase Young plays the way people think he can play, you know, double-digit sacks, staying f- focused with his play-to-play assignments... This defense obviously could go a long way. That that defensive front does what people expect them to do or thinks they can do, then that's going to make everything else a lot better. And even in that back, you know, back in the secondary, yeah, sure, there maybe isn't a dynamic performer, but the William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, Cam Curl, Bobby McCain, foursome, you know, that's about as solid as Washington has had. There's no like overtly weak link there or anything. It's just. They got to shore up the communication and all that kind of stuff. But then there's the linebacker situation. And obviously right now, you know, Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, they're trying to tell us, hey, Cole Holcomb, don't sleep on Cole Holcomb. Great. Of course, they're the ones that told us back in January that, you know, they needed a Mike linebacker. Now they're swinging back to, well, you know, maybe we were wrong. Maybe Cole Holcomb should be that guy. But don't you guys overlook him. But as we know, and look, I think Cole Holcomb is totally worthy of being on the field one way or the other. But what else do they have at linebacker? And there is depth questions. There's no doubt. And I imagine Washington still goes out and signs a player or two. But the real question for me, and I think maybe one of the big variables here on this team and on this defense, is Jamin Davis. It's kind of funny how little we talk about a guy who was a, who was a first-round pick last year, the 19th pick in the draft. Obviously, he had a disappointing season. Uh, or an underwhelming season at a minimum. Um, we knew he was coming into the NFL lacking experience, but from a athletic potential, there's a lot to like. And that's obviously why Washington made the move that they made. But at the same time, it didn't work out as hoped. Ron Rivera s- said that Jamin Davis would not be in play to be a Michael linebacker, that they were maybe uh, miscast him there. They, they misunderstood his his traits there. Ron Rivera talked about how he was excited to get out to the offseason in, in this particular draft offseason to be able to talk to players face to face. And he never said that he wishes he had done that with Jamin the year before. But the inference I always have taken is that he wishes he had more of a chance to talk to Jamin face to face to discuss, just, just to gauge body language, things like that. And maybe that would have sort of reshaped his view of what Jamin Davis could be as a player. Regardless, of what the past is the past and Jamin Davis is here. When you consider his athletic potential and the playmaking ability that he, that he, that he has, I mean, that could take this defense to an, another level on top of what the defensive line can do. I don't think there's much question about that. The question is though, does he have a chance to sniff that? We'll see. I mean, 
he he was very raw last year, and as I said, they clearly didn't view that he could be the the position that they initially thought he would be. On the other hand, they haven't done anything else, as we know. Like linebacker has been oddly the one position they really have not addressed this offseason. They didn't draft anyone. Ron Rivera told us at rookie minicamp again that hey, that we still that's still a position we need to get. And the good news is there are players available in free agency. Joe Schobert, AJ Klein, Alexander Johnson, I think Anthony Barr is out there. They're guys that they can bring in. But are they guys who can bring in that you're saying are going to be starting? As like when you're when you're in your sub package with two linebackers, are you going to be starting one of them over Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis? I don't know, maybe, but if you are, then what does that say about Jamin Davis' situation? Um, you know, last year, you know, it's been said it's been stated that Washington really very infrequently used three linebackers last year. Sure. But I think there's a massive caveat there. For one, John Bostic got hurt in week four. And I think John Bostic is a uh, wins above replacement type of linebacker. Like, he was he was okay, but the upside certainly didn't justify the, the negatives, right? Um, so, but he was the guy who was out there mostly with Holcomb. Then Davis came in and became the other guy. And they were using Landon Collins effectively as the third linebacker, even though we know we can't call him a linebacker. So they really kind of had three linebackers, but we're saying they had three safeties. So you can view that however you want to view it. The point, though, is that they don't even have that right now. They don't have anybody else to jump in, even if Jamin Davis isn't quite ready to go. So at camp the other day, at rookie camp, I asked Ron Rivera. Most of the questions were about the rookie class, but I said, hey, you know, where are things right now with Jamin Davis? And here's what he said. Quote, well... And, and by the way, he mentions OTA. I, they haven't had OTAs officially yet, so I guess he's just using the term incorrectly. He's just talking about their basic uh, workouts, and there's no, you know, no, there's no on-field work yet for real. Anyway, Ron Rivera, quote, based on what, what I've seen as far as the way he's practiced during the OTA periods, he's looking good. He's moving fast. We're doing a lot of walkthrough stuff right now, a lot of formation recognition and adjustment, and listening to him communicate and talk out there has been good. Again, right now, we're all really looking for, or right now, all we're really looking for is what we're going, is that we're going in the right direction, and that's probably been one of the biggest pluses right now, end quote. Well, let's hope Ron Rivera is right, that he's not just talking to talk, that Jamie Davis is showing those signs of progress, because if he is, I mean, I think that's a real, that's a real bonus for this group. Because, again, the defensive front we know has tons of potential. And the back group is at least a solid uh, quartet, and we'll still figure out who's the Buffalo-Nickel position. But the linebacker, at this moment, only one, Cole Holcomb, do you feel pretty comfortable about being out there more often than not. And even if they go out and sign somebody else, you know, that player may not be much of a difference maker. It may just be a solid, more John Bostickian level player, but not necessarily somebody who's a, a game changer. Jamin Davis, though, could be that guy. I'm not suggesting he's getting there this year, and maybe he never gets there. But that's where I think is a huge question for this team and a fun one to to, to consider. You know, we can go back and say, oh, they shouldn't have drafted him in 19. That was his draft ceiling. They took him too early. All those things. Well, they did it. It doesn't matter. We can't go. We can't. We can't change the past. And they've already now gone through another draft cycle, and they've done what they've done. Again, I imagine that they will go out and add 
a linebacker too, but will they add anybody who has the game changing potential that he does? That seems highly unlikely. Um, even a guy who could be just a viable starter. We'll see. There are some guys out there, but I mean, you never know how it works out. Jamin Davis though, is a guy that has the chance to be a huge difference maker for this group. And that's why I think he's fascinating player that we're not talking enough about that we probably should, especially until, especially, you know, without them having signed other people to even potentially start next to Cole Holcomb uh, this year. All right. Um, that's that. Let's get to my conversation with Danny Heifetz. Again, it's a quarterback focused one. We bounce around. We, we, we start with Tom Brady's situation where he's going to be the lead analyst with Fox because that's interesting to me. And then we kind of bounce around through Danny's article. We touch on different situations around the league and connect it to Washington and what is going on here and, and how does Washington uh, match with kind of what Danny was saying about some other teams. So a fun one. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get to it. My convers- Oh, by the way, I, I should just mention, you know, it is nice out these days. I hope everybody in the D.C. area is getting out and about. If you, if, you know, this, where we, Danny and I talk for a minute, you can hit pause, get your sneaks on, get your shorts on, whatever it is, go take a walk, press play, go listen. You'll enjoy it. I do that with podcasts all the time. I don't know why I just said all that, but I felt like it. All right, <laughs> here we go. My conversation with Danny Heifetz from the ringer here on the standard room only podcast. All right. As promised, joining me here on the podcast, he is part of the Ringers NFL coverage. You can hear him on their fantasy football podcast. He was uh, front and center with their draft coverage, along with Danny Kelly, who we had on here pre-draft. He is Danny Heifetz. And Danny, I appreciate the time. First off, I'm very jealous. You just drank from your coffee mug. I'm presuming it's coffee in there. Uh, I did not get mine this morning. I need. I, I'm out of the home I don't have the, the Keurig stuff I ran out of. I usually run out to get it, and I ran out of time, so I'm super jealous. I just want you to know that off the bat that you have coffee, and I do not. Well, I'll make you less jealous. It's just green tea. Oh, well, that does make me less jealous, but at least it is something. I mean, I'm literally drinking <laughs> straight water, tap water, not even like, you know, fancy sparkling water, so... You got like a scotch glass there for your water, though. That's kind of classy. It, 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 I, I like these. I, I like the these with the, with the heavy base. Um, but yeah, I, uh, the, the, the dishes are in the dishwasher and I was pulling out what I had and all I had was this or coffee mugs. So there you go. I, my real question is about your cat who's chilling there in the sunlight. What's your cat's name? That would be Lenny. Um, Lenny. Yes. Wow. He'll, he'll make an appearance here at some point. I mean, well, he'll make, he'll make a vocal, uh, uh, presence at some point. Um, yeah, everybody always asks when we're doing this over Zoom, do we, am I recording the audio or recording the video? I'm like, no, because nobody needs to see me. But this would be, you know, at least more reasonable with the cat sitting in the background. Yeah, you're like when Baker Mayfield was complaining the other day and everyone, he's like, you know, I just feel disrespected by Cleveland. And all anyone cared about was the dog that was next to him, just like upside down, like dreaming with wagging his little paws. I'm like, oh, my God. And then it just kind of made Baker's complaints not register as much when there's just a dog sleeping next to him. Pet the dog, Baker. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Come on, man. Show, show, show some sensitivity. <laughs> um, well, look, man, I appreciate the, 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 the time. You had a, uh, a, a fun story up on the, on the ringer right now. People can check out. It's the 2022 NFL qu- quarterback commitment index post-draft edition where you have some fun kind of going through each quarterback scenario around the league and, and, and giving your, your spin on kind of where things are at with, with, with a comedic spin, I should say. And we'll get to that in a quick sec. 
um, and go through it both in terms of some interesting situations around the league, but I'm going to either uh, seamlessly or awkwardly shoehorn them into what's going on here with Carson Wentz and Washington, as well as talk about what you said about Carson Wentz to Washington. Um, first question for me, we were just talking before we started here about um, the business, basically. And you were saying that you had um, done some uh, I guess, interning for, for the Team 980 back in the day. I don't actually know. Are you from here or are you just transplant land here? No, so I'm, I'm actually from New York. So I grew up, I mean, I grew up a Giants fan, if I'm being totally transparent here. And then I actually end up interned for the Washington football team itself. Commanders, it's going to, it took me long enough to transition from saying the name to football team. And it's going to take me time to figure out how to say commanders on the first try. But I actually worked for the team. I think that's how we met actually the summer of 2016. And uh, my parents were devastated. They were like happy I got the job, but they also were pretty devastated. I was working for a different NFC's team. Uh, I remember. My, my mom actually dropped me off. She like left an Odell Beckham Jr. jersey in my suitcase without me knowing it. So I get there and I open it and she's, and it just a post it says, don't forget where you come from. And I was like, wow. Okay. But no, so I worked there for 2016. And yeah, so I spent this, well, actually my origins in this business actually were uh, covering the franchise every day for the actual team itself. So what was it like from that perspective? when everything kind of comes out uh, out over the last couple of years with the organization and the, the, the internal culture and everything kind of gets put on, you know, public blast. What was it like watching it from the outside, knowing you'd been on the inside a little bit? <laughs> uh, I think that my experience in a nutshell, I think I would just say it all tracked. I think that's probably the most diplomatic way I could put it is I don't know if I was surprised by a single thing that, has come out about this team. I would put it that way. When in, without getting, and again, we don't have to get in any overly specifics, but in general, you know, for all the time I've spent thinking about sports before I had this job, when I was just a you know fan, and now doing this, like I, I've never been in the building. Like I've never been on that side. I've been I've been in the building. I mean, but I've never worked in the building. I've never been on that side of it. Were you? What, what, what were th- were there things in terms of the, the, the organization, like running a football team that were you were just shocked by in terms of like how things work when you're picturing these are like these high professionals and, um, you know, the, the you know, sports organizations are there, they're yeah. running things a certain way. And all of a sudden you're like, no, I, I wouldn't say anything. On here? I wouldn't say anything like that. To be clear, I was, a, you know, I was a freaking intern. For yeah, the yeah. Of this. It was like a six month internship, but regardless, I was only in, the, in and around the building for probably two months. And to be clear, I think the Washington building, probably I believe is a lot like other ones where they literally have a football side and like a non-football side. Like you walk in and to the left are like the coach offices and the GM offices and like, like, right. And then the right is like marketing and video and like finance and tickets. And I worked for the team website, but we were on the right. So to be clear, if I ever saw like Jay Gruden, if I saw Sean McVay, like I bumped into Sean McVay a couple of times, but like in the hallway, like getting coffee, like there was almost, zero overlap between me and like actual important people so i just want to be clear like that was it it just but generally speaking like you work in a place you get a vibe and and you know i guess i just even mean like there's like there's like a mythology that goes on especially when you're a younger person there's a mythology that kind of goes with wow that's so and so you're not even thinking about all the sort of the more nasty stuff that we that that we thought was referencing but just even the you know oh wow they're so and so oh he's kind of short or whatever it is (laughs) Yeah, that was but, my experience meeting McVeigh. 
I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, taller than you. That's weird. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially like a guy, somebody in sports, you think they're going to be some sort He's of the tight ends coach at the time. I'm like, wait, you look up to them? Or I guess he just become offensive coordinator. I was like, how do you talk to tight ends? Right. And but I guess and, he figured it out, didn't he? Yeah, I guess, I guess he, uh, I guess he worked it out uh, <laughs> for himself um, for, for, for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to get into with before we get to sort of your story, but with the quarterback thing. So news we're talking on Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning was kind of the bizarre news that Tom Brady, whenever he's retired, who the hell knows when that'll be, is going to be immediately the lead analyst for Fox sports uh, for their games. Um, And the price tag is unclear, but whatever it is, it's, he's going to get more money than the what 18 million that, that the Troy Aikman was getting. Some reports have it like 10 years, 375 million. I, I don't know if that's accurate, but whatever. And he's clearly going to be a huge uh, figure for, for Fox. I thought this was stunning on a lot of levels in part, because I didn't know I Tom Brady, like I understood that T- Peyton Manning kind of wanted to have some sort of a career on camera in this way. Um, how it was going to go, who knows? And obviously, he's kind of going for the non-traditional way with this whole production company. He, he Eli obviously did the Manning cast from their homes as opposed to traveling, which is different. I was surprised that Tom Brady was go- went apparently is going to go down the traditional route where he's going to go to the games every week. And if he's getting paid that kind of money, if, assuming this is all you know, this isn't just like some weird contract. We just don't know the terms yet. I, I was stunned that he was that he was down with that. Maybe the money was just out, even for him, was just too outlandish to turn down. But what did you think when you heard that that this is Tom Brady's uh, exit strategy? So I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but we'll see if this actually happens, right? Because maybe Tom Brady plays one more year. Like, Tom Brady can play four more years if he doesn't suffer some injury. Like, sure. at this point, he's already retired once. There's no reason to think if he wants to play till fi- – I mean, he just led the league in passing yards. There's no reason to think if he wants to play till 50 at this point that he – could not and so if four years from now he backs out of this i wouldn't be shocked but i think i I actually my first thought was this is brilliant for fox i mean fox announced this in an earnings call right they were like this will change our stock price you know what i mean that's a pretty incredible thing to i mean as as big as the other names are you know i don't i don't think peyton manning was getting announced in a disney earnings call and they had from a pr perspective it kind of felt they needed to do something they didn't just lose troy aikman they lose joe buck you know they, they they didn't have like like I think Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson actually pretty good. I, I don't watch, I don't listen to nearly as many broadcasts now in this job because I'm at a game than I did before. But when I heard them, I was kind of impressed um, by what they did. But that doesn't move. There's no juice there, and this is yeah. a move that gives you juice, even if it is long. T- like you know, yeah, we don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So just be ready. Yeah, I think it's a smart move because I think that a lot of the fan response to a lot of these the money announcers are getting is like who watches games for the announcers. I, I think that I'm kind of torn on it because I, I see both sides where I see why ESPN just wants Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. On the other hand, I also see why, I, I don't know why you need $20 million for an announcer when I just want to watch the game. But I think if anyone, people are going to tune in for the announcer, it's freaking Tom Brady. I think it's brilliant. And I also, what I really started thinking about was how much more of Brady as a person we've seen since he left New England. I, in a way... You could convince me that how long is it? I mean, March, 2020. Yeah. March, 2020, bad timing, but that's when Brady left. Right. And how long, I don't want to talk about how long it's been since March, 2020. It feels like it's been 10 years, but it's really what it's been two years and a few months. Right. Yep. 
I feel like we have learned or seen as much personality from Tom Brady just in Tampa Bay as we did for the entirety of the 19 years in New England. Like he has relaxed so much. He seems so much more comfortable in his skin. He's just funnier. And I, I would argue that he is so much more likable and that so many people who either didn't like him, actively hated him, or just were like, whatever on him. Everyone just feels more open to letting Tom Brady into their hearts at some point over the last two years. Everyone had that moment where like, do I like Tom Brady now? And I, I've had that. I'm a, you know, I, I just said, I grew up a Giants fan. Watch the Giants play the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. When you root against a Super Bowl team twice, you're like, you grow to be like, screw Tom Brady. And it's like, at some point in the last two years, it's like, man, when he threw that trophy over the boat, I was like, this guy's awesome. How do you not like that? So that's really what went through my brain of, it would have been almost weird if he had done this in 2019, if he had announced this. And now it's like, yeah, cool. We're excited. A hundred percent. I, it's I, like, yeah, that's, that's the story I want to know is when did Tom, what, what was the catalyst for Tom Brady to to become, you know, some comedian out here, some social media juggernaut, uh, you know, who's helping him, what's going on there, but like, what's the catalyst? I kind of, I have a couple of different theories as to why one I'll share is just, you know, he's got this rivalry with Peyton Manning. Obviously he clearly won on the football side. And I was always team, I was always team Brady over, over team Manning. Um, and in terms of football, I mean, Brady, it's, it's a longer conversation, but anyway, his level of play did not fade in the playoffs. It stayed level or went up, but whereas Peyton Manning to me clearly went down in the postseason, even though he won a couple of rings, neither one was like, wow, so Peyton Manning was great. But that said, Peyton Manning was way more interesting off the field, funnier guy, the SNL appearances. He's doing all these commercials and he's, and he's funny in them. He's not just standing there like a, like a bore. And Brady, like you said, had none of that, but now Brady is like matching Peyton Manning all over the place on these fronts. And it almost feels like he was like, all right, Peyton, you're getting a lot of attention for the Manning cast. Well, here we go. I'm in, let's go. Um, but it'll, it'll be really interesting to see. Cause regardless of all this, the social media stuff, whether he's writing it, I presumably he has help. It's scripted stuff. The, the game, there's no script. You don't, you don't, you have to react in the moment when, you know, Patrick Mahomes yeah. throws the interception or the touchdown or somebody makes the great play or the stupid call or whatever it is. You have no idea. That will be interesting to see how he does on that front. I think you're right. I think that there's definitely a rivalry to Peyton Manning. And I do think that's part, I think the other parts he probably wants to be an owner. I mean, we've seen the reporting at this point that he did want to be on the dolphins. And apparently they had reportedly some shady backroom deal where he would retire. They'd hire him as a GM. He'd do a Michael Jordan. He'd come down play quarterback for the dolphins. And I guess there was a piece of Miami dolphins ownership in there as well. I think it makes total sense though. I mean, this is a guy who's talked now for years that, I mean, he, he literally at one point, Tom Brady was playing golf with Michael Jordan and obviously Michael Jordan's talking smack on the golf course and was like, come back when you got six rings. And then now Brady has seven rings and goes back and plays golf with Michael Jordan. But at this point, when Brady has to change from chasing Joe Montana his whole life, Tom Brady grew up a kid in the Bay area and it, you know, goes from chasing Joe Montana to having almost doubled the, the Super Bowl wins more than double the playoff wins in Joe Montana. You have to chase Michael Jordan. The only thing left at this point really is for Tom Brady to basically beat LeBron James to owning a, owning a team and I think that that's probably the ultimate goal and that making an, I mean, he, he, there's a serious chance he makes more money as an announcer per year than he ever did as a player. I mean, Tom Brady's making, I think 25 million a year. 
give or take with Buccaneers. I mean, would it be, they're announcing this on an earnings call. It's surprising if, you know, Troy Aikman's getting 20. Why can't Tom Brady get 30? Tom Brady could get 40. I have no idea what the number is, to be clear. I'm not reporting anything, but I mean, if Troy Aikman's getting almost 20, I can see Tom Brady getting 40. I'll put it that way. So, you know, you don't have to do that for that long, not to mention all those other endorsements. That, I mean, it's kind of like the same way Chris Collinsworth is on this NBC, but also, you know, had, had the stake in pro football focus and build that in. And it's like, you know, he's building a business while he's an announcer. Tom Brady doesn't have to work that hard to be getting this, you know, $20 million, $20 million, 20 million person audience every week to be building a brand, building his companies up. And then eventually a nest egg that he can probably buy a team by the time he's 50 or 60. Right. Yeah. No, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I am one of those people who doesn't, I don't, I don't ever tune into a game to hear the announcer. The announcer can enhance the game and it can detract from it. I mean, you know, uh, there's some local examples here of that on, on, you know, but, and there's national examples as well. You mentioned, I mean, the Monday night football, the ESPN, obviously there was getting a lot of criticism for their booth and their booth stunk. I mean, I, you know, it wasn't even just like faded into the background. They were just like, Oh my God, this is like terrible. Yeah. And, and so on the other hand, uh, I heard somebody use this analogy once and I, I don't know who I'm borrowing and stealing this from could have been even from the ringers. I don't know, but somebody had the analogy of it's like when some really, really rich person, their kid has a sweet 16 party or a bar mitzvah or whatever it is. And they hire a band for the, and they're like, ah, screw it. What's another, what's another few shekels. Let me go hire Jay-Z. And that's basically what is going on here. It's like, well, we're already making a ton of money. We're already investing. Screw it. Whether we pay the announcer 2 million a year or 20, it doesn't really make any difference. Let's let's go get Troy Aikman. Let's go get Tom Brady. I think that's exactly what it is because it's exactly what you just said, because we, we hear 20 million um, a, a year. It's really, what is it? A million dollars a game. And when you put that in the context of what do they pay per game, what does ESPN pay per money in a football game? Like a hundred million dollars a game or something. Is that ballpark? It's something. So yeah. like, the numbers are outrageous, like, yeah. you, this is the voice you hear the whole time. Get, get the voice that people know. And so I, I kind of, I get, I get it in that sense. It's funny to me because that's probably also what I would do if I were paying $100 million for game. I'm like, ah, screw it, what's another million dollars? But I think that it's also, you know, it, they're also looking at through the lens of this is the last bastion of like live television and cable, right? I mean, you know, every year it's like you look at the top 20 broadcasts and like 16 of the top 20 every year are NFL games. And so live sports is like this last stand almost of, you know, cord cutting and everything. And I think that they'll throw whatever they can to kind of just preserve this is the one thing left in like live television advertising where like auto audience guaranteed. And it's just like, you know, fortify it. And also it's just smart. Like I do think Tom Brady will probably be good at it. And I think it's worth remembering Tom Brady's literally played more quarterback than anyone ever by a lot at this point. I mean, Peyton Manning's in the hall of fame and Tom Brady's still playing football. Like he's played so much more quarterback than anyone that he genuinely, what he's learned is not, no one else knows what he knows. And that's kind of like a pretty cool premise for him being an announcer. Right. And just, I will just, just, just to cap this off, like generally the one reason why the star player doesn't always work in these spots, this is also similar to when with, with the, well, not so much when they go to coaching, but sort of the same thing is to what level are they of engagement? Do they really have in this thing? Because they were, re, they were at the pinnacle of their own sport, their own you know, the, in life. You really, how much you really invested in this other thing? We all care about these games. We we give a crap about, you know, Washington, Dallas on a, on a Sunday afternoon. 
for a variety of reasons, does that guy. And I think Tom Brady has shown that he is actually invested in this stuff. And I do think that will translate. He's not going to put himself. I don't think Tom Brady's putting himself out there for the paycheck and to make, to look bad. He's got a brand. He's got, you know, he's doing this for a reason. Part of it, maybe what, what you said, accumulate wealth so he can buy a team. But at the same point, he's not going through all the stuff he's doing on social media right now to then go out there and ruin it for himself by being doing a half-assed job on the broadcast whenever. And I'm with you. I guess this lastly, what do we think? Is he going to be, is he is he in the booth 2023, 2024? Or I believe, uh, I, I believe that the Fox has a Super Bowl after this year, 2025. So if he jumps in in 2024, he would be first year doing the Super Bowl. At this point, I if Brady didn't retire this go around, I feel like he's not going to. At this point, I really think he ends up back in San Francisco. I think the Dolphins thing blew up in his face, and I'm not sure that there's a path back to him going to the Miami route after everything that's unfolded there. So I would say that the Niners seem a little worried about Trey Lance, and I think that if they get rid of Garoppolo, I, I do think if Trey Lance is a bust, I think that the only thing left on the board for Tom Brady is to just play in San Francisco, be 30 minutes, 40 minutes from his parents' child at home, or sorry, his child at home with his parents, and just, you know, do some Joe Montana cosplay. <laughs> um, all right. On that note, let's let's jump into the uh, to, to the quarterbacks. I mentioned that you had uh, uh, this article up and you kind of went through each situation and you try to put some uh, context into kind of the relationship between the quarterback and the team. It's something you clearly you, you have a lot of fun doing i, I want yeah, to... it's a fun column i, I do i do a, a little i do a few times a year i guess at least twice a year and it, it really stemmed from me and my editor kind of talking about what are the relationships between quarterbacks and their teams and the thing we kept coming back to is it just reminded us of the relationships and people we do in our lives <laughs> and so it just decided to make that a whole thing so i it i shameless plug it's on the ringer.com and it's the yeah the quarterback commitment index but basically just can we what's up with all the quarterbacks how to committed our teams to the quarterbacks but the lens of uh relationships <laughs> right and I'm, I'm not going to start with the Carson Wentz one because it connects with a couple other ones but I will start here and we'll like I said we'll, we'll, we'll weave in Washington throughout one you had here is with regards to the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott the the the, the subhead is are we having money problems and what you <laughs> and what you wrote is the Cowboys and Dak Prescott are in love there's no doubting that but Dallas has made some erratic decisions involving money lately uh, I'm just going to paraphrase here. So they cut uh, Leal Collins, one of the better tackles, to save $10 million. Then you write, they traded away Amari Cooper for a fifth and sixth round pick to save $16 million in cap space. Surely Dak is looking around wondering, a la Marge Simpson, quote, are we in some sort of fiduciary trouble? And uh, Mike McCarthy would be Homer Simpson in this analogy. It is interesting, right? I mean, obviously the salary cap is a real thing. You got you to gotta factor that in. And uh, all teams do. But when you look at the NFC East, and we talked about, we did a sort of an NFC rundown the other day. Uh, wait, oh no, I did that on the radio. I'm, this is where I'm losing, con- getting confused with who I talked to. Anyway, of the of the three team, of the four teams in the division, you can make an argument that three of them, if didn't they didn't get better, they at least got more interesting. Except for Dallas, that Dallas is the one that <laughs> took took a step back. It seems like. They were the leader, so they had more room to drop, but in part because of the money situation. Uh, what do you so what do you what, what do you make of what's actually happening in Dallas that they they lost you know Randy Gregory, they lost Lyle Collins, they trade away Amari Cooper. Well, what, what's your sense of what's going on there? 
I think my big picture view of Dallas is Jerry Jones is, is the, the, the real fantasy football owner in real life. It's that, you know, when he, Jerry Jones bought the team in like 1982, whatever it was, he literally said at his opening press conference, he said, I'm going to do everything. I'm involved in everything from jocks and socks. Like that's what he, and he meant that he actually was picking out clothing when he started the job. And I think that this is Dallas's gift and their curse is that Jerry cares probably as much or more than any owner in the NFL. And that gets them 80% of the way there. But I'm at the point where I, I feel that it will always prevent them from getting that final 20% because the decisions Jerry makes and his son, Steven to, to an extent is they're so close in so many things. They're so good at scouting. They have such a good scouting organization. And then they do things like they did this off season. You mentioned they lost Randy Gregory, the defensive end. They lost Randy Gregory because they held on to him for years for Jerry's loyalty. He can never admit he made a mistake. And then they insisted on putting a clause in his contract that would void his guaranteed money. Basically mean they wouldn't have to pay him. The contract would go up in flames, basically. If he was fined, I believe it wasn't even like for a suspension. It was if he was fined. 30 other teams in the NFL don't have a clause like that. The Cowboys insisted on it. So he left for Denver. That's a pass rusher that might go and help the Broncos try to win a Super Bowl. Cowboys really need that kind of pass rush help. Then you've got, you know, they, they're cutting Lowell Collins, who immediately gets paid by the Bengals. Bengals are a famously stingy organization, snapping up Lowell Collins to protect Joe Burrow. That's someone Dak probably needs. Amari Cooper, they're trying to save $16 million. They get rid of him. They make that decision basically a year ago. And now Amari Cooper's contract relative to what's happened at the receiver market where Tyreek Hill's going up to, I mean, depending on you count 24, $29 million a year, Devontae's at 23. Mark Cooper's contract now actually kind of looks reasonable. And with, I mean, one of the reasons the Browns sent them a six round pick was because they knew that if the Cowboys cut Mark Cooper outright, he would have got even more money. So it's just the decisions they make over and over again. I feel, and never mind, we can get into Mike McCarthy. I feel like the Cowboys are a team I actually take less seriously because of those basic things of just they just they're cutting good players because of the way Jerry runs this team. Right. Well, and, and you know, you can really kind of see it almost more on the coaching side than the um than the player side to a degree, in that if you want to be a real coach, you know going into that spot, you're not in charge. And I'm sure the players yeah. look at Mike McCarthy and like, look, man, I get you're the one calling the plays. You, you know, maybe you're making some decision here about you know, are we keeping a sixth linebacker or a seventh cornerback on the 53 man roster, but ultimately you're not in charge of anything. And granted, not all coaches have full power. There is a GM and of course an owner, but like, it's obvious Jerry Jones is such a massive deal that like, you know, like, like here we get it. Dan Snyder's in charge, but, and Ron Rivera is a, a more of a unique spot because he's, he's overseeing personnel as well. But Ron Rivera players know is the guy in charge. And, Jerry's presence is just tough. And I think that kind of prevents some coaches from even wanting to, to show up. I think that's what'll be interesting with Sean Payton. This is what I don't understand though about Mike McCarthy. Here's what I don't freaking get. If that's the case, and I agree with you, how the hell are the Cowboys the most penalized team in the NFL? How are the Cowboys in a playoff game getting 14 penalties? Sorry, I've, I, I, everyone makes fun of me. I'm on a podcast as well, and everyone makes fun of me because I say the word really strangely. So I'm sorry, penalties, fouls, whatever. But they have 14. So the, and then they're after the game, the play, they lose to the Niners. They're complaining about the referee. Well, you were the most penalized team in the entire league. Meanwhile, they're getting 14. Four of those straight up ended a drive, put a third and five to like a third, like a third and six to a third and 11 ended drives. And then every Cowboys fan I know 
is just distraught with their timeouts, their clock management. And my, my thing is, how is that possible? If Kellen Moore, like if it's Sean Payton and he's calling the plays, it's Andy Reid and they're calling the plays in the game. It's one thing. But if Mike McCarthy's not calling the plays, he's not totally in charge of like those details that maybe Jerry uh, insists on. What are you doing with your time? What does he do all day? Other than think about clock management and detail oriented, like no penalties. Like those are like the bread and butter of coaching. And I, I, I just genuinely want to know how that's possible. And I, 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 I don't know how they go into this year with it, it, the second they hit adversity. I feel like the players are going to turn on McCarthy. Right. And this is probably where I'm getting like, over my skis. Not, you know, I, I get annoyed when I hear people talk about this team who aren't around the team all the time. And they completely don't know what they're saying. But I, in general, my sense of Dallas is because Jerry is more of a uh, sizzle than the steak kind of a guy that like the focus is more on the flashy stuff than the granular hey, here's how we do this to what you're talking about, avoid the penalties and do the basics, blocking and tackling. I mean that both literally and metaphorically. Um, and so maybe yeah. there's something to that uh, with with what goes on there. But here's where I want to connect this to, to, to Washington. Obviously, Washington made a huge expenditure with Carson Wentz. They take on his $28.3 million contract. And then it's been really quiet. They have, you know, everybody here knows, as, as, as of this moment, they have signed four free agents. The first three all played for Rivera previously in Carolina. And the fourth guy, um, Alex Erickson, is a, you know, he might be their kick returner or six receiver or whatever. They have not really made that extra move. And even with the draft, which is obviously a different deal, they didn't kind of go for it. They just kind of got guys to fill in the gap. So it is kind of curious to me, like when you talk about you know, Dallas, what's going on with their money situation? I think this is a really interesting question for Washington. And this also connects with what's going on with the Terry McLaurin contract, because, you know, that's the huge, that's the huge deal right now at this point. Um, what's going to happen there. We kind of know where the bar is 22, 23 million a year, somewhere in that range, maybe more, but it's, you know, at some point I can't, don't think you can make Terry McLaurin the highest paid receiver in the league. Um, but what's going on with that? I, I do wonder, and we I've talked about this on this podcast and written about it a little bit, is there some sort of a money thing going on here with the ownership who just had to, who just bought out all of his partners last year? They don't get, you know, the, the, the local fan base is not thrilled. They're not coming out the games. He's clearly going through a lot on Congress right now and other factors. I, I, I've been kind of wondering if, they, and I'm not saying you need to have insight onto this, but I, the money aspect with Washington is very interesting. Even though they spend big on one guy, the rest of it, they have been pretty tight. So when I saw your point about what's going on with Dallas, it kind of was like, Hey, that is the question here also. What is going on with this group? They're just not spending that much or making these aggressive moves that, you know, you kind of would imagine they would. And to be clear, I think to shed a little light on what you're saying, when it's, it's an outdated NFL rule, but basically in the beginning of the NFL, when they were making rules and teams actually could go out of business because the owners could go broke, they had to make a rule that for guaranteed money, owners had to put money in escrow, which now is kind of outdated because most of these guys have plenty of money. But- a couple don't. <laughs> so I, I think what you're implying, like there was some rumors. I don't think we, we don't really know if this is true, but there were rumors at the time when the Raiders wouldn't pay Khalil Mack that Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, the son of Al Davis, didn't actually have $70 million, $60 million liquid to put an escrow to pay Khalil Mack. And so is, is that kind of what you're referring to where yeah, I mean, Terry McLaurin paying these guys would require 
you know, there's some hundred million dollars in, in escrow for a guy that also has to, I assume is three different legal teams right now. Yeah, no, the, the funding role, we, we, we talked about it on the last episode. And look, again, I'm, I don't even, I can't even, uh, nobody wants to hear about finances from me. Trust me. Um, and how to, how to, how to deal with bank accounts, but I'm just saying it is the question. And I did ask Ron Rivera about this at the owner's meeting, just, Hey, I know you're making football decisions, but you do have a boss. Have you been told that you need to cut back on budgets or anything? He's like, no, 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 we're just being mindful of the salary cap. Okay. But anyway, it just, it's just notable. And, and that is a point, by the way, like Jerry Jones, again, I've lost track of exactly where his monies are coming from, but you know, he, he has a lot of other businesses, not saying Dan Snyder doesn't, but this is Dan Snyder's business, this thing, the, and, and if you don't have the other, you know, he's incredibly rich, but if you don't have the other money coming in and you do have to put some money aside to whatever degree these rules still are in play. I mean, I've had agents tell me that the funding rule, like if they could fit, get rid of something in the league, change something, they would change that rule. It's, it's like you said, it's outdated. It's not really in need anymore, but it can perhaps jam up some people if you have to set aside uh, a bunch of money. Um, quickly here, just on this, NFC East, is Dallas for you now that we've kind of gone through the the bulk of the offseason here? Are you still putting Dallas as the team to beat, or do you have somebody else uh, that, that you would put it on top? I think begrudgingly, I think that there's seven other divisions where I'm like, there's a team to beat, and then the NFC East, it's more like you don't have to be faster than the Bear, just faster than your slowest friends. And I just see a lot of slow <laughs> friends in the NFC East. So, like, sure, but I don't think there's a team to beat. I just think Dallas looks faster than Washington, Philly, and the Giants. But, I mean, the reality is any of these teams can scrape their way to nine wins and win this division. It's pathetic. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. As you just said, the best team is probably the Cowboys, and they got worse. <laughs> right, right. No, and I'm with you. The one team that I would point to and say maybe them would be the Eagles, and I'm not that sold on Jalen Hurts yet. So, um, even though the Eagles did some good things, I thought, in, 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 in the draft, um, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, all right, the Pittsburgh uh, Steelers, they take Kenny Pickett, and you uh, you basically called it like they, you know, you fall in love with the guy next door or the girl next it's door like or whatever. Rom-com. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, and you know, that is, I mean, right, Kenny Pickett, it's not just that he played for the University of Pittsburgh. They literally used the Steelers facility for practices and whatever. So they, he's literally there with them all the time. And Mike Tomlin has a quote that you ha- said here. That quote, we circled the United States the last several months exploring all these guys, and we ended up with the guy next door. Um, this is this is of course perfectly as a guy who paid attention to the Wizards, reminds me of when the Wizards hired Tommy Shepard after firing Ernie Grunfeld, and they go on this exhaustive search, they hire a search firm, they make these big overtures to try to get other people, and they end up hiring a guy who was down the hall for the last 15 years, <laughs> um, which of course made me laugh. But the connection to Washington is, of course, a lot of people wanted Washington to go down the, the rookie route. And the fact that all these guys slipped, I think, helps justify their decision to aggressively go get a veteran, which was my thought they would do all along. Um, even Pickett going to 20, yeah, he went in the first round, but the first quarterback going 20 is a, you know, that's an indictment of how people thought about this quarterback class. But Pittsburgh, you know, they're obviously a, historically a pretty smart organization. They needed to replace Ben Roethlisberger. Made, I, I get why they did it. So what do you make of nobody? Clearly, people didn't love these quarterbacks, but Pittsburgh, a, a place that typically we view as pretty smart, they're the ones who actually go get this guy. So I've been completely radicalized 
on quarterbacks and quarterback development over the last year or so. And because I, I think we have this entire process backward, right? It's like everybody needs a quarterback and then they take them. And yet there's a 50% hit rate in the first round. And we're like, how do these billion dollar companies who just need to fill this one position suck? And I get hiring is difficult in every industry, right? But the reality is I've just become obsessed. And I think the answer is sitting in front of our faces, which are the good prospects go to the bad teams. And the reality is we always talk about like, oh, how did the Cowboys get Dak in the fourth round? How did the Seahawks get Russell Wilson in the third round? I think we have the whole thing backward. Every, who are the good quarterback picks of the last 10 years? Go through them. They all went to a good team. And by a good team, I mean a team that had like made the playoffs in the previous year or two. The good picks, Josh Allen went to the Bills. I know the Bills are laughing stock, but they had made the playoffs like one year earlier with Tyron Taylor. The Ravens were nine and seven before they had Lamar Jackson. Uh, the Seahawks had one of the best defenses in the history of the NFL when Russell Wilson went to them. The, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs went 12 and four with Alex Smith before they drafted Patrick Mahomes. The Texans, Deshaun Watson was considered a good pick before all the things we've just learned over the last year. The Texans had won the division three of the previous four years before they drafted Deshaun Watson. Again, Dak Prescott went to uh, arguably the single best roster and the best offensive line in the entire NFL when he had to step in for Tony Romo. The reality is all the quarterbacks who succeed go to good teams. And the quarterbacks who fail, we're like, well, what's wrong with them? Usually it's the quarterbacks went to bad teams. When, when Mark Sanchez goes to the Jets and when Sam Darnold goes to the Jets and we'll see what happens with Zach Wilson, it's like, maybe it's the Jets. Maybe it's the Browns' fault. It's, and this is why I really kind of came back to this column, this quarterback commitment index, because it's like, if you have one friend who has 30 girlfriends and he blames the girlfriends, you might have to buy him a beer and be like, hey, buddy, it's you. And that's how I feel about Cleveland. And that's how I feel about all these teams trying to develop quarterbacks. It's like the Bears haven't had one in 80 years and they're going to screw up Justin Fields too. I'm, I don't think it's Justin Fields' fault. So to your point with Washington, I would argue it, it depends on how you feel about Washington's ability to develop a quarterback. I am not so confident myself, but you're the, you're the guy who spends a lot more time thinking about Washington than I do. But my gut is that it doesn't matter who they would have taken. I don't think that Washington's in a position to develop a quarterback personally. All right. So, so Ron Rivera has made the point, and I don't think it's wrong that you may be better off building up the team and then inserting the quarterback. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, you go back to Ben Roethlisberger since we're talking about the Steelers, you know, yeah, to your point, like, he joined a team that was kind of ready-made. He didn't have to do that much that first Super Bowl he won. He didn't have to do that much. He just had to, you know, kind of not screw up, and he wasn't really good even in that Super Bowl. Um, but that allowed him to sort of come in with a certain level of confidence and do and do some good things. I, I, I agree. I would be – I don't think it would be good for some of these guys if they had been picked by some of these teams at the bottom. And that's why, you know, we'll hope for, we'll hope for Trevor Lawrence's sake that things turn around after a disastrous uh, first year. And, you know, Zach Wilson goes to, to the Jets, you know, everybody seemed to love what the Jets did in the draft, but we'll have to see. Um, as far as Washington goes, you know, when you put yourself in a position of talking about, you're going to make a big leap in year three, it becomes harder to, to thrust a rookie in there. Um, because even the best rookies, you know, Dustin Herbert uh, had a really good rookie year and they still were under 500 that it's not easy for a rookie to come in and all of a sudden 
have to play and be good. And Washington needed somebody to come in and play. Now Pittsburgh has Mitch Trubisky, which was the other original thought here that sign Trubisky draft a rookie. And that would be your plan rather than doing what they did. And I guess I'll ask you this for, as for the outside perspective, whatever Carson Wentz is going to be, he is a talented quarterback. It just obviously has been, there's been some issues the last couple of years that led to two teams saying, you know, we're good. Um, he makes a ton of money and it costs Washington picks, but he is better than Mitch Trubisky. He is better than whatever rookie Kenny Pickett is going to be, except that he costs more money and costs us picks. So what would you rather, if the, if the end result had been Washington doesn't trade for Carson Wentz, or they sign Trubisky and take, Let's just say they take Pickett at 11 because that's where they would have had to. Have been. What would you rather them do? Again, not just in general, but also for a team that's saying that they need to kind of win this year. What would you rather them done, Wentz or what Pittsburgh ended up with, Trubisky and Pickett? Well, I think that it's a trapdoor question. I think that, as you just said, if they win this year, I, I, we could go into this. I guess let me answer that with another question for you. Do you think that Ron Rivera, you know, Mayhew, do you, Herney, do you think that this brain trust, if they, win six games do you think they'll get fired um it's a great question and you're right this is what this kind of comes down to is is some what's your feeling of job security and my my thought to that would be you know this owner is going through a lot right now i'm not saying that Mm -hmm. in a sympathetic way i'm just saying there's a lot happening and i can imagine his you know we've got a whole another year to go and if more things happen congress keeps pushing them there's another revelation there's whatever else is happening he might say after this hold on you guys won six games. I don't care what the excuse, what what was the rationale. I'm done. That would not surprise me. I don't I don't think Ron Rivera is coaching for his job, but I can't say like definitively because this owner is this owner. So I think that is exactly why I never believed they were going to go the rookie route. I thought they could potentially go the Trubisky route and then supplement that with a rookie, but not like spend. I never bought they were spending the 11th pick necessarily on a quarterback. Um, because of just for that exact reason. Yeah. And, and that's why I just think, I think that it's a trap because the, when the answer is, would you rather have Wentz or Trubisky and a rookie in the worst rookie class in 10 or 20 years? The answer is preferably neither. I think that bad organizations put themselves in this position. And I also think that this is kind of why teams stay bad because they're thinking about the difference between five wins or eight in 2022. There's no long-term plan here. And in reality, Washington's defense in a different world should be so good and should really be the backbone of, of a Super Bowl contender. And instead, Washington's overpaying for Carson Wentz. I, I, I mean, look, I can paint you an optimistic portrait of Carson, Carson Wentz if you'd like one, which is that he imploded in Jacksonville in week um, 17 or 18. I forget which one. And the Colts were knocked out of the playoffs. He did it immediately after. Like, he was playing all right. And then he got COVID. And he's unvaccinated. So I think it was more serious than getting COVID if you were vaccinated. And he just was absolutely horrendous in the immediate days after he had Corona. And then the Colts missed the playoffs. What I'll say is if that had not happened and the Colts had made the playoffs, we'd all be talking about how Carson Wentz had like one of the best touchdown interception ratios of his career. Wentz cut down his his turnovers and that, hey, look at Wentz being a game manager. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the correct narrative, but that would have been the narrative. And I'm just saying that the, now, in reality, what happened is that Carson Wentz was brought in by the only guy he's ever had success with, which is offensive coordinator Frank Reich, who's now the head coach of the Colts. And the Colts had Wentz. 
And they were so nonplussed with his ability to run the offense that they were like, screw it. We're just going to have Jonathan Taylor do everything because we don't trust Carson to not screw up. And then they actually got so lucky that Jonathan Taylor went out of his mind and almost dragged them to a playoff run. And then even with all that, Wentz, as little as they trusted him on the field, apparently was even more disliked in the locker room. And so with all that said, the reality is Washington's the only place left desperate enough to take Carson Wentz. I don't think Carson Wentz would be starting in the NFL if it weren't for Washington. Maybe Carolina, maybe, who is like the football equivalent of sending daytime view up texts. That's how much they need a quarterback. But like, I think that the question of when, and again, the Steelers just signed Mr. Trubisky and already are like, actually, he's not like an answer. We'll go with Kenny Pickett. I just think that the, the question itself speaks to Washington as a franchise right now. Yeah, for, for sure. And like, it's a combination of, you know, could you even sniff the Russell Wilson's of the world? Or even like, I know people point to, well, if they had not made the Wentz trade, Matt Ryan became available. Do you, are you convinced Matt Ryan would have agreed to a deal here? I'm not. I mean, there's a lot that goes on here to play quarterback when, you know, people don't want to have to deal with the stuff that goes on right here right now. And uh, it just seems desperate. They got played by a Colts team that, I mean, think about it this way. They paid, what are they? I, I forget the details. Cause they did a second round swap. It basically is two thirds and one of the third might be a second, right? That's what they yeah. for Wentz. On yeah. one hand, it's a quarterback, whatever. On the other hand, how'd the Colts get that? Because the Colts had said, we're not bringing Wentz back. The Colts didn't even pretend the Colts didn't even pretend. Well, you know, we, we like Carson and we'll see. And like playing like, oh, well, if you want Carson, you know, we'll part. they said this dude's not coming back. And Washington still gave him more than that, than the Falcons got from Matt Ryan. And I just, I, I guess I'm just, no, I you're, just I feel like none of these decision-making processes are good, but, to, but it's also a cop-out to just say both are bad. To answer your question, I guess roll the dice with Wentz. He is better than Heineke. Maybe he won't be erratic, but I also kind of just look at it and it's like, well, you know, you ever seen Arrested Development? Uh, it's, a, it's a hole in my resume, but I'm aware That's of the show. Right. So there's a scene in Arrested Development where I don't remember, they're talking about some solution to a problem. And they're like, oh, well, that never works for anybody. I mean, people just delude themselves into thinking it'll work and it never works. And then there's a pause and they're like, but it could work for us. And that's what I think about with the Carson Wentz thing, where it's like, oh, well, everywhere he's gone. I mean, the Eagles paid $35 million just to get rid of him. But it could work for us. And it, right. I don't know. No, so, no, I, I, it, it's 100% right. And I think just to answer that question, too, like now that it's all settled and like prior to the Wentz trade, people were asking, like, what do I think they'll end up with? My answer was basically Mitch Trubisky and one of these rookies. Um because I just I I wasn't really even factoring in Wentz to be honest. I was looking at the, the other guys. I just couldn't figure out who they were going to get that would be enough of an upgrade. And you know the the Wentz trade itself was it was relatively significant if, unless he actually becomes if he's a real quarterback. Nobody is going to complain about what they gave up. The, you didn't give up any yes, first round true. picks. His money for the next two years is still under contract with no guaranteed dollars. Totally reasonable. Yeah. For, for a starting quarterback so people will will, will be happy I, I will just say like to your point of like how did the Colts do this I don't know what the Colts would have done I, I I suspect that they were I don't know if they would have just actually flat out released them but they clearly didn't have a lot of options 
Like they, they may be in the boat where the Browns are right now, where like Mayfield sitting there and like they just waited it out for a while to see what would happen. But that said, they clearly were in a position where no leverage. They 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 had to get rid of Carson Wentz somehow. Once it was pretty apparent that Jim Irsay wanted him out, and they were able to get all that. And there's been some some narrative around here a little bit on social media. I've been playing with some people that I know about this that Chris Ballard is like overrated. If you think Chris Ballard is overrated as a GM, then you have to then you have to be saying Washington was 100% justified to give up the the two day two picks, one that can be a second, and take on all the money. You can't do both. You can't yeah. say Chris Ballard is some overrated GM and Washington um, overpaid. Uh, no, no, they they, also, they had to justify. Otherwise, Chris Ballard completely ripped them off. I agree, and I mean, I, I'm the one who brought up the two picks, but I, I also don't want to get lost in the weeds here. I think big picture, since Dan Snyder's not thinking about the Washington fans, I think what I think about them a lot, and I think that my big you tell now I don't want to be the guy who parachutes in and doesn't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. My general sense with this fan base right now is they just are tired of being embarrassed. Like, they're tired of this team embarrassing them and just being just a general disappointment. And as much of an embarrassing circus they are off the field, I think the general problem is I think Carson Wentz and Mitchell Trubisky will both embarrass them, if I'm being honest with you. Like, Trubisky is – the entire reason Trubisky is, like, even considered a starter – is because he just went away. Now, maybe he's gotten better, but I don't, uh, I'm not convinced they'll just be like, I'm not convinced they'll be great. The Steelers, I'm actually kind of interested to see him, but, and then once, maybe he will be less, more of a game manager and stuff, but the reality is, I think that Washington narrowed their choices to two quarterbacks that will embarrass Washington fans even more. And that's just, it's, I feel for people who are with this team. Right. No, I think you're totally right. And when you when you talk up as as Ron Rivera did during the offseason, we're going to be aggressive. Last year, you tried to get Matthew Stafford. You didn't get it. I, I, as I said, I think the fix was kind of in for him to go to the Rams, but okay. But when you make those claims and you're pointing, you're sort of uh, you're sort of winking at like Russell Wilson's over there. Anything the Carson Wentz, Mitch Trubisky levels, you, nobody's going to feel good about that. And this fan base is already miserable. It would have been one thing for a proud Steelers franchise to take on Trubisky, which they did, or went. And, you know, in general, those fans, I'm sure, got to be going, all right, I mean, what are we going to do? Tell Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert they're, they're morons? Of course not. Whereas here, it's like, ah, it's already frustrating, and now we're giving us this. Um, I want to rip through a couple of these other ones really quick. You mentioned Justin Fields. We don't have to, 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 to uh, uh, elaborate too much here, but you mentioned you call this one the 80-year-old virgin. And basically the bears have just simply never in their history, basically developed a real, a quarterback. I guess you could talk about Jim McMahon for a minute, but like they really, at least post Jim McMahon, for sure. They just have not been able to do that. And how they, this off season, they make a bold play for Justin Fields last year. He didn't really look that great as a rookie, but okay. And then they lose Allen Robinson and then they don't do that much to help him out in this off season. And your point was kind of like, uh, if you're going to make this, if you're going to try to develop this guy, you need to do that. I will give Washington this much. I think when they made the Carson Wentz trade, they then were like, okay, we didn't just, we didn't solve the problems by getting this guy. Now we got to go help this guy. And that's why I think they went and traded or or they they drafted Jahan Dodson at 16. Uh, We can debate whether that's uh, a tick early or not. Some say yes, some say no, but another wide receiver to give you some, some, some help. Same thing with Brian Robinson, their third round pick. Again, we can debate whether, 
uh, using a third round pick on any running back makes sense or whether he was a little early, but he's going to give them that between the tackles, steady, consistent play that they offense lacked last year and will help Carson Wentz, you know, not have to sort of have a, have a steadier presence in the backfield. And so I, at least from that perspective, think that Washington did try to help Wentz. They didn't just say we drafted a quarterback or we we traded for a quarterback and we're good. They actually did do something. Whereas opposed to like what what you're saying with the bears, they did this thing and then they didn't haven't seemed to enhance the thing that they did. Yeah. I think that the Jahan Dotson pick, look, it's going to be considered a reach in the draft. The reality is if you go back and look at any draft from the last five years, there are wide receivers in the second and third round that you're like, well, they should have gone like 15th or 16th in this draft. So if he's good, he's good. Right. And you know, I, I understand that it's probably reach, but you need to, you do need to surround once with pieces. I laugh at the Brian Robinson pick because it's so clear that the Washington just kind of realized they had no culture. So they just were like, well, let's just draft Alabama and Ohio state and Oklahoma players. till we have a culture. And like, they just, they're like, well, Nick Saban's good culture. Just take them. And then they'll all talk to each other. And that's just very clearly what they've done. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just, I look at this team and I don't see a vision, right? Like, I think that that's the big picture is that, you know, every year there's 32 teams and the reality is just, they all tell themselves they're going to win a Super Bowl. The reality is that every year there's somewhere between six and 12 teams that really are like actually trying every day to win a Super Bowl. And I don't really see a world where Dan Snyder is getting subpoenas from Congress and dealing with all the lawsuits and God knows what is on his mind these days. I just don't see a world where this team is like actually trying to do anything. I don't see any, forget long-term planning. I don't really see medium-term planning with any of these moves. Uh, and it, it's a shame because they've got some really good players, right? Like they've lucked into like Terry McLaurin, in my opinion, is he worth $22 million a year purely as a football player? Maybe. Reality is Terry McLaurin seems to be a great guy. Terry McLaurin seems to be a good dude who's also really good at football. And honestly, if I were, I think they should probably be paying a premium to keep dudes like him and Chase Young around because you know what? Not a lot of guys are going to want to go to this team once those dudes leave. So I, you know, it, 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 that's the reality. I remember John Dorsey was the GM of the Browns, gave Jarvis Landry a lot of money. And uh, my colleague, Kevin Clark at the ringer asked him like, why'd you do that? Because it seemed like an overpay. And John Dorsey, without saying it, basically admitted he did overpay Jarvis Landry. Because when you go 0-16, there's a tax you have to pay. Because when these guys sign somewhere, you've got to look at the team and say, oh, he's good. He's good. Sure, I'll join him. And then it's a snowball effect. And then eventually you're the LA Rams and Von Miller's FaceTiming Odell to join him, right? You need, you need guys to look at a roster and be like, see some names that they like. You know, it's not that dissimilar than us. Right. And Washington, I think they got to keep these guys around. Because it's not about the quarterback round this year. It's, it's about eventually having enough of a nest egg that people want to come there. Yeah, no, and, and that's a similar approach to what people try to sell and what the Nationals did a few years ago when they signed Jason Worth to a contract that seemed to be yeah. over overpriced for what he was. But the claim was, and I've attempted to debunk this over the years, but the claim was you needed to show the rest of the league, we're in business, we're going to do the right things, we're bringing in this guy, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there is something to that. Um, Maybe I'm a sap, but I I actually think that that's true. Maybe I'm a sap. uh, For the Nationals, you mean, or for uh, both? Generally, uh, but I also think that makes sense. No, in gen, no, in general, I think it makes sense. I'm saying with the Nationals, it didn't actually happen. They didn't, in my opinion, they didn't actually get anybody 
based on Jason Worth's presence. They drafted Strasburg and Harper number one back-to-back years in a sport where the number one pick doesn't mean that much, and that turned everything around. Worth was just an overpay. But that's another that's another podcast. Uh, last one, you, you talk about some of these rookies. You have the, 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 the subhead is the guy they told you not to worry about. The Titans, of course, have Ryan Tannehill. Then they draft Malik Willis. The Atlanta Falcons bring in Marcus Mariota, and then they draft Desmond Ritter. Uh, you know, it's always a fun meme. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. He's just, he's just, you know, just here to help. Don't worry about him. And I think, and the question, of course, in those two cases is, well, how much is that actually true? As much as I was not that interested in Malik Willis for Washington, or really not particularly a ton in the first round, but whatever, people seem to think there's upside. I love the the pairing with Tennessee. Because we saw in the playoffs last year, Ryan Tannehill is a totally reasonable quarterback who's only going to get you probably so far. And they have a lot of other pieces. They're missing that extra thing. And maybe Malik Willis is maybe a a home run or bust kind of a prospect. But it's not a bad in the third round to take a shot for the home run when you're in that spot. And and Atlanta, kind of the same thing, although Mariota, I think, is just a a stopgap. And they're waiting probably for next year in the draft to really make that move. But the connection here is then you compare it to Washington's situation and said the guy you actually don't have to worry about pointing to Sam Howell and Carson Wentz. And there are some people around here who want to make this a thing. It's not a thing. If Carson Wentz stinks, it's a thing, but it's not a thing today. Whereas in those other spots, like Malik Willis is not going to be the week one starter. But if Ryan Tannehill, certainly in the case of Mariota, but if Ryan Tannehill kind of just, eh, and Malik Willis somehow everybody says he needed the year to sit anyway. So I really don't think he's going to be a guy this year, but my point is like, I could see a world where that's a thing. There's no world here in my view where Sam Howe is starting for this team, unless Carson Wentz just stinks versus there's actual pressure on him. And I think it seems like you agree based on kind of the way you, you phrase this. If I can like grossly, grossly oversimplify the NFL draft, the first two rounds are for players they think will be starters and third and fourth round are for players who could start, but you know, probably rotational players. And the fifth round is a round where it starts to be like, okay, these guys can help with special teams. Sixth, seventh round special teams guys, you know, maybe it'll be something else. When a quarterback goes in the fifth round, they're saying that they're depth. Like the league by letting Sam Howell fall to the fifth round is saying he, he could be a backup quarterback. You know what I mean? And so it's like, he could be a backup quarterback, but the reality is I don't think Sam Howell does anything special. Uh, he scrambles instead of processes. Like he just doesn't really see the chessboard. Uh, and, you know, he just really has the penchant to run instead of processing through stuff. And, and he's short and seems like a nice guy, bless his heart. But I don't really see him being a starter in the NFL. And I certainly don't think he's pushing Carson Wentz in 2022. Maybe he'll like come in for an injured Taylor Heineke in 2023 and like have a good quarter. But I, I would be quite surprised if Sam Howell were starting for Washington this year outside of abject disaster. It's like, if you had like a product, I don't know whether it's like hamburgers or I don't know, uh, whatever, 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 think of any product and you did a blind taste test and you, you're asked, okay, eat these things, listen to these things, see these things, whatever it is, which one do you like better? You don't know anything about it. You just, here's what they are. You might have whatever opinions may be, but if you're told in differently, well, this thing 
could be one of the best ones in this field, you're going to be somewhat biased towards thinking that that's a, that's a much better deal than perhaps it is under the blind taste test. And my point is that Sam Howe was, was very hyped up because a year ago yes. he was viewed as a guy who could be the first pick of the draft. Two weeks ago, people were thinking worst case he's going in the second round. So you get him in the fifth and I'm like kind of with you. Like, I think it's, I think he's intriguing. I have said, I like, I kind of like Sam Howe on a pound for pound basis. He might've been of those top five quarterbacks. The one I kind of like the most based on the, where I figured he would fall. But at the same point, if the whole league drops him to the fifth, they're basically saying, no matter you guys were just overstating what was going on before. And we're not that interested again. Things can be wrong. You know, Dak was a fourth round pick. Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick. Not even going to get to Tom Brady, but you know, mistakes happen, but realistically, yeah, he's a guy who's a backup quarterback. You need those. And I would, I would just, again, I would say, I, I, I really hate to say what I'm saying. Like I hate to be a Debbie downer. I know that all you want when your fan is like you, they draft a quarterback to think they're going to be good. I, I just need to remind people that all those examples you just said, it is so indicting when a quarterback falls this late because they're so valuable that the entire league goes through the first four rounds and says, we don't want these guys. There's a reason we can only name three guys like Kirk and Dak that fell this far and did anything. And again, Kirk Cousins had Kyle Shanahan, who is the best offensive coordinator play call of his generation. And then Dak Prescott went to the best roster in the entire NFL. And Washington has neither of those things. And I would just temper any expectations for him. Right. Um, yeah, I, w- I would agree on that. All right. So last, let me get you out here on this. All that said, so Washington, so they do get Carson Wentz. I think purely from like a playbook perspective, it's an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. You can do more things with Carson Wentz. You know, they don't, whether you think Jahan Dotson was worth the 16th pick or not, he's a talented receiver on top of Terry McLaurin. We'll assume Curtis Samuel actually plays this year. They've got Antonio Gibson. They kept J.D. McKissick. They have Brian Robinson. Their offensive line changed over a little bit, but it still looks like a reasonable group. And the defense, look, I I don't know if they're going to be top five, and I would doubt they'll be bottom five again. So if they're somewhere in the literal middle of the league, altogether that seems like a team that should be better than seven wins. Plus they have the easiest strength of schedule in the league. You already mentioned the division isn't exactly a – it's not the AFC West. This isn't a, a juggernaut of a division. So why not Washington be an upgrade? W- where are you at with a very early prediction of Washington's hope this year? Are they, are they a team that actually can be a uh, 10-win team, be you know the, the level below Green Bay, Tampa Bay, whatever, make the playoffs? Or are you still like, eh? I'm not well, slow down with Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Well, I'm saying below that, below that. But no, I think that, again, the NFC, it's, you just have to be faster than your slowest friends. You don't have to be faster than the Bear. And you're talking about the Giants who, look, the Giants are probably the most optimistic point they've been in 10 years. They still suck. Then you've got the Cowboys who, again, got worse. And then the Eagles who, I, the Eagles definitely got the best on paper. We'll see with them and Jalen Hurts. The reality is, look, it would be pretty cool if Washington and Carson Wentz beat the Eagles twice, right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, the reality is, those six divisional games, the, if one team can just clean up and go 5-1 and one or 4-2 and two against the, the NFC East, it's going to go a long way to winning the NFC East. So, like, I, I don't think any team can be ruled out. If you're going to rule out anyone, it's the Giants, but I wouldn't rule them out either. But I, there's no reason Washington can't win the division. 
if Carson Wentz doesn't do the Carson Wentz thing and implode. And again, he did go a lot of last season without turning the ball over. He, I think he only had seven picks last year. It was easily the best of his career. I mean, he did make market improvements. It's just Carson Wentz in my mind is big man on campus syndrome where he's just always been the most talented guy and like all, all you know what I mean? And he's at the FCS and the way they win in the FCS, it's like Josh Allen, you have to do everything. You have to do too much. Like if you do too much, that's how you win. The problem was Carson Wentz got to the NFL and that worked. And he learned all the wrong lessons. Usually people get humble pie. Instead, Carson Wentz in year two almost won the MVP towards ACL, came back with less athleticism and is still trying to do too much to this day all the time. And I think that it's just a matter of if Carson Wentz can just do less. Have you seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Ben, the movie? This is not a joke. I literally no, I'm Have you no, seen no. the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Yeah, I literally watched it before you and I started talking. I, I it was <laughs> on my it was on my television. Are you? On, uh, yeah, literally on my uh, on my. Uh, yeah, I was watching. Okay, this is destiny. You know, Paul Roddy's trying to keep, teach Jason Siegel to surf. Yeah, like do more, do less, do less, do more. Now you're not doing anything at all. That's Carson Wentz's entire career. It's like do more, do less, do less, do more. No, now you're not doing anything. And it's like that. Oh my God! You really watched this movie? Well, I, I mean, so like funny. I said, like, like literally, like that's his own showing him my Netflix phone. Literally, like, yesterday. Literally, yeah, that's so funny. But that's Wentz. It's just like do less, do less. Like you know, Josh Allen. I really think they're paired in this way because they came from such small schools. Josh Allen has talked about how he's like my mentality on every play. This is Josh Allen. He was like, I was trying to score a touchdown on every play, and then he's like, he had it was. It took him two years. And he said this. It took him two years to just. Now I'm just trying to get a first down on every play. But even then, sometimes you just got to not screw up. That's a lot of football. It's like, just don't screw up and try to live to another day. Carson Wentz plays with this urgency of trying to save every play. And that's how you end up throwing a pick six with your left hand. And if he just does less, if he can channel the Kunu, just do less, do less, ride the wave. I think Washington could win the division. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fascinating ride. Whether, whether you think Carson Wentz was getting him was a smart move, a terrible move, it is going to be fascinating to see how this coaching staff gets it done. They've had a lot of uh, hodgepodge at quarterback, and that may be a nice term for what they've had the last two years. This is a real guy, and but he, he needs to be fixed, and we'll see if they, everybody can uh, can get that done. Uh, Danny, fantastic uh, job here uh, coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Go read Danny on the ringer and uh go read this quarterback story his quarterback uh hold on why i i I was being a really good host i had i had it here the quarterback commitment index for the ringer no forgetting sarah marshall is a better movie you can go to the ringer and read my quarterback commitment index if you want my real (laughs) advice if you haven't seen forgetting sarah marshall watch that because it's a great movie it's better than my column it it really is i was uh, trying to find somebody uh, I was talking to somebody about they were looking for romantic uh, comedy type movies and uh, I, you know I don't have a huge assortment in my brain but I was like oh well but go find that one I, you know if the funniest movie of the last 20 years or at least the most popular funny movies Anchorman the only movie I would say might make me laugh more than Anchorman is forgetting Sarah Marshall and plus Mila Kunis is just throwing a hundred. So she, yeah, she's she my, she's the, uh, she, she's my all time uh, goat. So uh, right now, anyway, enough of that. Uh, Danny, appreciate it. Uh, at Danny underscore hyphens on Twitter. Uh, appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll talk. Awesome. Thank you for having me. 
All right. Many thanks to Danny Heifetz for his time. And of course, thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast and being supportive of the podcast of me on the athletic hitting me up on Twitter at Ben Standig and all that good stuff. Um, but that is it for now. More to come this week and beyond here on the podcast, but until next time, see ya.